Hi guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. I've got to do what no podcaster wants to do and begin with something of an apology. I'm away this week and while we were able to record a rundown of what was a brilliant EFL weekend, because I'm away from home, I wasn't able to use my recording equipment, which normally produces such good audio quality. So it's a bit of a throwback for those of you who used to listen in 2016 when we recorded in my front room. Uh, the a quality of audio not as good as we would like, but hopefully still good enough for you to listen to the next hour and a, and a bit of engaging EFL chat. The gaffer actually gave me the weekend off this weekend. <laughs> and I, he wanted me fresh for the run-in. I've taken that quite literally. I'm recording this from a, an Airbnb cottage in Sandwich in Kent, lovely part of the world. And I've basically spent the whole weekend walking around various pebbly beaches and uh, drinking in lots of nice Kent pubs. So although I'm aware of what happened over the weekend, I'm relying on you to, to add you the flesh. You don't know how it happened. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to, to picking your brains because, as you say, it looked like a, a very lively weekend indeed. And of course, because I've been slightly off comms, I've woken up this morning, you know, checked Twitter. And George, I mean, I, I was under the impression that we covered three super leagues already, uh, but there does appear to be quite a lot of noise about another one. Talk to me about that. Yeah, um, it, it's... I, there's nothing I can add, and I'm not going to go on some kind of Gary Neville um, rant about Shame. the uh, about the motives behind you know six English clubs, including two clubs in Arsenal and Tottenham, who I, who I feel are closer to quality um, to the top of the Championship really than than the European elites. Uh, and you know the, the, the greed and the motives behind it is obvious. I think what is frustrating for for me as an EFL fan is the way that this impacts the leagues that we cover because whether you're Norwich or Grimsby Town you know the the dream is alive for all fans of all clubs that one day you might be able to get to this fabled promised land and, and it's always been a bit of a a fault in my eyes that when you get there um normally life as a, as a football fan when you get to the premier league if you are punching your way up is is uh, isn't quite as fun as is when you're winning games but that is always the aim and it's an achievable goal for everybody and i've often had conversations with my dad and my brother you know will we ever see oxford in the premier league um and this strips away any of that strive for sporting merit and that in itself is completely what football and what sport and what being a fan is all about. I think it just, again, and it's a, a, a drum that I bang a lot, but a lot of people, um, even before this news yesterday, are pretty disillusioned with top-tier football. And I think rightly so. I, I still believe that the EFL um, offers a perfect antidote to that because you still, you know, it, it reminds me more of football from 15, 20 years ago. You know, the players are more relatable. The uh, A high percentage of the fan base um, are, are match-attending fans. There's no VAR. Um, there, even though a, a fair few owners, well, I mean, a growing number of owners um, are foreign-based, it still feels like the, the clubs have a much closer alignment to the community. And you just have to look at some of the ridiculous statements coming out from the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal at the moment, kind of trying to convey that this would be great for solidarity within football. It's just nonsense. And also people mm. pointing at the Premier League and being like, this happened in 1992 and everyone said it was going to be terrible. It's it's different. I mean, whilst that may have been a greed motivated power move, it wasn't an attempt to annex off um, the rest of football. It wasn't an attempt to create a, a, a fixture schedule that was going to be 
a you know the same games over and over again just just content for content's sake rather than a tournament based on sporting merit um it's a sad day for football but i'm just very happy and you know touch wood this continues that we love and talk about leagues where the fans are still treated like fans we don't have to um get our decisions on the pitch ratified by a video referee and um and yeah, I, I, we still retain that level of sporting integrity that makes these games that we're going to talk about on this podcast so exciting. You pop away for one weekend out of like 40 and when all hell breaks loose. <laughs> they timed um, it because they knew that you wouldn't be on Sky Sports. So therefore it would be Gary Neville, the, the, the soft touch. Well, um, uh, very well said by Gary. Very well said by yourself as well, George. The, the good news is we've got so much exciting football to talk about even just from this weekend but of course every week on this show and we are sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app so I just wanted to a celebrate the fact that over the last week or so the EFL the Skybet EFL Rewards app has now reached 1 million check-ins which I think is an amazing reflection on a how much you guys fans of EFL clubs want to show your support for your clubs and obviously want to win prizes and rewards as well um, and and in such a difficult year as well um, that's been one way of doing so so well done um, endlessly supporting your clubs this season and of course there are still plenty of rewards to be won over the next few weeks all the usual good stuff signed shirts match passes Football Manager 21 match passes uh, and replica match balls as well, which we have both been booting around the park for the last month or so. So do keep checking in. And the predictor is still going and still has a cash prize for every game week until the end of the season. A £500 cash prize, that is, uh, if you find yourself at the top of a predictor leaderboard on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Obviously, it takes like, what, 30 seconds to fill in 12 results from the league that, the, that, that your team play in um, and a chance to win 500 quid. So do download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. It's free to download. Everything is free to play uh, and get involved as we approach the end of the season. Uh, and we've got our first one, don't we? Our first promotion and or relegation. In this case, it's a team that is upwardly mobile, George. Norwich City were promoted. Now, the way it happened was not necessarily how we might have guessed it. Uh, it was because of Brentford's draw with Millwall in the 12.30 kickoff, it meant that even before Norwich played Bournemouth, again, they ended up losing, um, they were promoted and we get to celebrate a team that, well, we barely knew you this year. Uh, it's just a, a one-season stop in the Championship this time around uh, and what worthy champions they've been. I mean, yeah, you, you've summed it up there. Um, I realise they like, haven't actually been a point. Uh, I realise they haven't actually won the league yet, but I'm calling them champions. I think after that that Watford um, performance, we'll get on to in a second. I think it's a fair assumption. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of my one frustration from my from my performance on Quest on on Friday night was that in praising Arno Danjuma's um, performance on Friday, I just completely forgot to pay tribute to one of the best championship teams we've seen in a long time um, because they have been brilliant from the word go and it's easy to forget that they came into this season at a massive low ebb you know this was a side who whilst they may not may not have had as lowly a points tally as, as Sheffield United and they did have of course a couple of, of massive highs last season in the Premier League they were not a good Premier League side and came down with their kind of tail firmly tucked between their legs having been um, having been shown that that, that that gung-ho style of football, um, as laudable as it was, wasn't really one that was going to get them many points um, with that group of players. 
and not only have they um, improved for that, you know, they're a, this is a better team than the team that won the league two seasons ago. Make no mistake about that. Even if um, in terms of personnel, it hasn't changed a great deal because they are just so much more defensively solid. Um, you know, Grant Hanley, he was not somebody who I anticipated would be a mainstay centre-back um, for, for a championship winning side, but he's been, well, and a ball-playing championship side at that, but he's been brilliant. Uh, Gibson as well, until his injury, was, was another really impressive bit of business. Uh, and it just feels like they are a team who go up knowing who they are a little bit better, knowing what it's going to take in order to to improve it. And I'd be really surprised if we were to see them back in the championship in, in well, at least next season. I think they'll they'll stay up. I think they'll do so easily. I think Daniel Farker is a coach who um, will have improved for this experience. I would be surprised if there are wholesale changes in terms of personnel. You know, I think that um, it's going to depend on what kind of teams come in for these players. You know, I think if it's just Arsenal in for Buendia, I think they'll have a pretty decent chance of knocking them back, given that Arsenal might not be, well, I mean, I was going to say might not be in Europe next season. They might only be in Europe too. So so we'll see what happens there. Um, Aaron's, of course, you know, he was linked to, to Barcelona at one stage. You know, if, if, it's that, if it's that calibre of club coming in for him, maybe. But otherwise, I don't think he'll move on to a mid-table Premier League team either. Um, Cantwell was linked to Liverpool if it's there maybe again the same thing goes I think he, he would be foolish to leave um, for a side who aren't knocking on on the um, at the top end of the table knocking oh. on the door at the top end so they've, they've been amazing I've, I've absolutely loved watching them um, you know they didn't sacrifice any of their style uh, in terms of, of making themselves a bit more difficult to break down um, and I think it could be you know there, there was always that quote from, from Stuart Webber that he's tried to distance himself from about being a um, you know being kind of a, a long-term yo-yo club, I think mm. what he meant was just that they weren't going to overreact if they were relegated, uh, which which is exactly exactly what happened. But I, yeah, I think they go up this time as a uh, as a side who were just way way better than their mm. opposition for consistently over the course of the season. Well, and I, and I haven't even mentioned Timo Puki, who's who's got <laughs> twenty five goals, you know, without people really even taking notice. Well, because we we became aware of exactly what Pukin can do in penalty boxes at this level two years ago, and might have been a slightly slow start for him this season, but he's been absolutely exceptional, hasn't he? As have so many of the players. I think the you know we we obviously focus on the stars because we just can't get enough of watching Buendia, for example. But I think the general level of the 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 rest of the squad, whether it's the the other you know starters, you mentioned the centre backs Gibson and Hanley. Krull has probably been the best goalkeeper in the division this season. Um, I think the underlying numbers pretty much back that up. But even just um, sort of anecdotally, I, I don't think he's really suffered from the championship goalkeeper curse. And maybe that's because he's not really a championship goalkeeper anyway. But of course, Aaron's at fullback. Yanulis, since joining in, in January, has really grown into his role. And, and you know, those attacking fullbacks do sum up Norwich in to a large extent that the positions that they take up for the majority of the game are probably higher than many wide midfielders or, or wingers uh, in terms of your, your heat map areas uh, for, for many of the other teams in the league. So a complete treat to, to talk about, mostly at the top of every podcast over the last few uh, months. And what I would just say as well is, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back. It's not, it wasn't rocket science and we had, I think, pretty strong reasons for doing so. But we picked Norwich to win the league in our 1-24s. to And I think I said on that show, this is more about Stuart Webber than it is about Daniel Farker and the players. I, I have such respect and admiration for him, um, for the way that he oversees things on the footballing side. And, 
you know, it's no secret and it's nothing new now. And I, like many others, have spent a lot of time listening to various Stuart Webber interviews and podcasts and YouTube videos. Uh, and I would recommend doing so because, you know, he, he's, he's fascinating to listen to. He speaks with real clarity and, you know, it's a mid to, learn, it's a mid to long term job being a sporting director. And I think, you know, as much as you could praise him and the recruitment team for what they did in that extraordinary promotion two years ago, this is a, a more impressive feat for me because we know it's difficult coming down from the Premier League, more, more from an atmospheric basis than anything else but even in terms of squad management and the motivation of players and basically at every turn they have done the right thing whether that is going with continuity in terms of the manager and fully believing and in their man Daniel Farker but also I think there's a suggestion that because they did that or maybe there's a feeling that because they stuck with Farker and because we recognize some of these stars from two years ago that it's kind of the same call squad as well but they signed 10 or 11 players didn't they um you know very early on much quicker than your Watfords uh, and your Bournemouths did and, and that was another reason why we felt they just seemed a little more settled a little more ready for what was to come so um just brilliant uh, just a brilliant way of running the club from top to bottom and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be sad to lose the team we'll be sad to lose the fans who we've almost always got on very well with um and that is enough Norwich chat I think because I mean, interestingly, George, they lost to Bournemouth. Bournemouth were the only side in the top 10 at the start of the weekend uh, in the championship to win. What is the sort of, what's the headline from the top six, let's say, from the from the automatic or promotion battle? Just run me through what happened this weekend in the championship. Well, I think let, let's start with that Bournemouth performance and result because um, it would be easy given you know even watching the game it was easy to forget that this was a massive game for Bournemouth yeah. because it was the Norwich promotion party um and Bournemouth's cause was was obviously helped by Janulis being sent off um in the first in the first half I, I thought it would look like a, a pretty obvious um penalty sorry a pretty, it wasn't a penalty a pretty obvious red card <laughs> Um, I know a lot of Norwich fans seem to think it was Pearson's challenge itself, uh, which which kind of meant that Janulis, I mean, Janulis was very late and his studs kind of landed on halfway up Pearson's leg. So um, it looked like a red card to me. And then from then on, Bournemouth were just really good. Um, you know, unsurprisingly, Norwich down to 10 men, having already won promotion, um, sat off. And it wasn't the kind of Norwich performance, even with 10 men, we probably would have seen um, had they had much to play for in the game. Um, but Dan Juma was just on a different planet. Um, it was almost as if he knew that he was sharing a pitch with the likes of Puki and Buendia, mm -hmm. who normally get all the head all the headlines, even though he will see himself as somebody who's already achieved far more than those who have in top-level football in his career. And he was unplayable, frankly. He, you know, for his, the bit of skill um, for the first goal uh, down, the left, down the left side isn't something many players can do. The goal itself, the technique, the way he hits the ball, um, it was, you know, easy for him to be off balance uh, with the ball running across uh, as he dribbled across in from the left onto the right short back lift and an incredible strike uh, the assist for the third as well um, he was just on a different planet and you have to feel like at the moment with the way that he is playing himself um, and factoring in how poor Swansea are looking how poor Brentford are looking um, I feel like this could just be the Arno Danjuma playoffs, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, because on his own, I think he could win them the way he's playing at the moment, up against sides. And it's it's pretty rare that you go into championship playoffs or any playoffs, to be honest, with teams looking in in pretty poor form. But at the moment, you know Swansea were abject 
against Wickham. You know, any listeners to the betting show who followed me into to Wickham at seven to one will know how I felt because Wickham were by far the better side um, up until the uh, the first Swansea goal. Um, they were fully deserving of it. Um, Admiral Masweka's finish for the first was brilliant left-footed shot into the near into the near um near corner anthony stewart then hit the bar straight afterwards flicked onto the bar by bennett a, a really good bit of defending um before they then went, went deservedly 2-0 up um the penalty itself was you know it was it was clearly a penalty but it was it was a just a, a really bad bit of luck mm. um with mccarthy handballing it as the as the, the pass was played through you know he tried to to slide in and the ball hits his hand blatant penalty but in, by no means um by no means deliberate and that gets them back in the game uh, and then it's two all only for, for Miss Wakefield to then miss an open goal with about two minutes to play Swansea don't don't mistake this for anything even after that 3-0 win at Millwall the other day Swansea are still not playing well and with Andre Ayew hobbling off after 10 minutes um, that, that could be a massive massive problem for them um, you mm. have to think they are not a team who in, in their current form and their current guys are a top six team and Brentford against Millwall, you know, Brentford didn't really create a chance at home against Millwall till till late in the game. Um, the best chances in the first half fell to Millwall themselves. This isn't the first time we've seen that Brentford have looked very, very short of quality. Um, and in, with the Watford-Luton game, uh, you know, a, a derby that had much more running on it for Watford than Luton, it looked completely the other way around with Luton dominating the whole game. Uh, they were by far the better side. Uh, Femenia was, was sent off uh, late in the second half. James Collins scoring his first goal since December, which was important because, um, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the penalty incident itself, Backman wipes out Adebayo. Adebayo's injured on the floor for about five minutes before being taken off. So I think it was about seven minutes between the foul and the penalty. Mm. James Collins came on for Adebayo and put away the penalty with his first kick of the game. Uh, And then Andre Gray uh, having a a disallowed goal late on and the camera angles that I saw didn't really show too much in terms of evidence as to whether that was the the right or the wrong decision but Watford were very poor so what you've got in the promotion it did sound like uh, Luton were excellent as well I mean even before the even before the winning goal um, Ollie Walker sent me a a message at well one o'clock so so half an hour in they'd had 64% possession eight shots six of which were inside the box three corners um, you know they completely well it appears that they completely sort of suffocated Watford which is Pretty yeah. impressive, and and um, you know Luton now looking fairly good. I think on PPG they'd be twelfth, although they're just below um, Stoke on goal difference uh, with a game in hand. A, a top half finish for Luton would be an astonishing achievement. So uh, I just wanted to get that in there. You know, I mean, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they they were very good. They they dominated the game, and, and for, for Chisco. He'd have been very, very relieved that both Swansea and, and Brentford failed to pick up three points. So it was only, you know, not too much mm. concern. About well, I was going to say, it, it feels it feels a bit like, you know, Reading, we watched Reading draw on Friday night with uh, Cardiff. And the reaction to that was, oh, that's it for us. You know, we, we, we're going to be too far away with four games to go. It's almost like as each result came in from the teams above them, yeah. a bit a bit more hope for Reading. It's almost like they, they didn't actually lose much ground at all this weekend because Barnsley also lost uh, on, game on, ground. On, yeah, Barnsley lost on Sunday to Cov. Um, and, I, and I think it's frustrating for Reading that they weren't able to, to win that game because that would have put them in a really good position. Um, you mentioned the Barnsley the Barnsley game and, and it was a very un-Barnsley-like performance. Coventry mm. were, were able to to break them down 
pretty comfortably. Um, you know, it should be mentioned that for whatever reason, I know Mark Robbins himself is at a, lo- at, at a loss to explain why, but Coventry at St Andrews are a really good championship side mm-hmm. who seem to be able to to um you know that it's pretty rare that they are outclassed uh, when playing at their adopted home mm. be tenth, tenth best record the tenth ah. best record in the league at home yeah um and but but Barnsley were, were well beaten on the day and, and couldn't really have any complaints so when you're looking at the playoff picture now I mean there are we should say four games to go uh, Brentford have five games to go so you know it's it, there's enough time for for these form lines to change and the performance levels to change but as I'm looking at it at the moment Bournemouth are a, you know, a, a heavy, heavy favourites, and that's not just on the back of, of one game. Their performance levels at the moment, you know, I, I still think Barnsley are a side that you want to avoid. I still think that Brentford have enough quality about them, and even when they're at their poorest, they are solid enough defensively that they're never going to be an easy one to get by. Um, but, but Bournemouth seem to be well clear of them and have the best player of the lot of them um, at the moment. Ivan Tony might. Raise his eyebrows if he hears that, but at the, but at the moment Dan Juma is probably the class player in the league, and um, and they, you know, whilst it looked a couple of weeks ago like Bournemouth might struggle to even get in the playoffs, you know, they're now seven points clear of Reading. They're absolutely fine, and they are. Um, it would be it would be pretty sad, I think, um, as a Championship fan to see the three relegated teams go straight back up, uh, but I think that's looking likely at the moment. Mm, interesting. Okay, down at the bottom, it was a significant weekend, and it, it was always going to be down to Rotherham, really, to a certain extent. Uh, They were playing Thursday against Coventry, of course, uh, and then on Sunday as well against Birmingham. So two teams who they were ostensibly chasing, and with all these games in hand, you know, they were the ones sort of making the waters a little murkier in terms of understanding exactly who was likely to finish where. Uh, In the end, it's two defeats for Rotherham uh, in those two games. A a, a game against Coventry that was... uh, well, it was it was a it was an enjoyable watch for me just because I enjoy the tension of late season games like this. Uh, but it was a tough watch in terms of, of quality, understandable given the fact that it was wedged into a Thursday night, uh, and it was won almost predictably by a set piece by big Leo Ostergaard, who just loves throwing his head at everything uh, and heading home the winner for Cov. So that was the start of a, a poor weekend for Rotherham because then they lost one nil to Birmingham on Sunday, also conceding a, a goal from a set piece. So. By no means getting hammered, George, but fine margins. They're on the wrong side of it at the wrong time of the season. And conversely, three teams above them that they might have thought they could catch, Coventry, Birmingham and Huddersfield, having brilliant weekends as well. Yeah, I mean, for Rotherham, it was the midweek performance against Coventry that was the most damaging. Yeah. Um, because they, you know, Paul Warren did well to shuffle his pack to make sure that he had the his supposed best team available um, for this six-pointer, but they were second best throughout the game. Coventry came out the block so quickly and was so impressive early on. You know, we mentioned their good home record. Their away, away record has been very, very poor. And even though, as you said, it took a set-piece goal to decide the game, um, Coventry were very unlucky not to be ahead at that stage, even though, I mean, Rotherham hit the posts um, halfway through the first half with kind of a speculative effort, but, but Coventry were the better side. That wasn't necessarily the case in what was a very good game yesterday between Rotherham and, and Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a Birmingham side who looked very, very different under Lee Bowyer. Um, the shackles seem to be off um, <laughs> for the first time in a long time. Is and this one of the most egregious cases of when we say 
play to the strengths of your players and try to avoid their weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it probably is. Um, but it's working really well. And, and you know, disappointing, I think, for Rotherham to, to go down to a late goal. But that seems to be, you know, that belief seems to be something that Lee Bowie has instilled in this Birmingham side because it's not the first time uh, in the last few weeks that they've got a winner late on in games um, showing a, a certain level of, 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 yeah, of belief, even though, again, they're another team with very little to play for. I think if you thought in a game between Rotherham and Birmingham at the moment, if one team were going to, we're going to be able to push on late on and get a goal, um, it would probably mm. be the one who are trying to, trying to, to save their, their league status rather than the one who've, who've basically already done so. So testament to, to Lee Bowyer that that was the case. Um, but I said, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that Rotherham were in a false position, um, third from bottom, and they were, but that false position is very quickly becoming a, a, a true a position. position. <laughs> Just a position, yeah, because they are um, not picking up points. And it's been, you know, it's, it was always going to be difficult for them to have this run of fixtures in such a small space of time. But um, it couldn't really have gone worse to have two to have back-to-back league games at home and lose them both one-nil against sides mm-hmm. who are eminently beatable. Even though you know Birmingham are better under Bowyer um, and they had enough chances in the game to, to go ahead, whilst it was nil-nil uh, for the majority, um, you have to now think that Rotherham are are looking the likely ones to get relegated. Although. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a terrible week for, for Derby as well. Te- teetering on the other side of the dotted line, all of a sudden is Derby County. They lost on, on Friday night 2-1 to Blackburn, uh, giving away a lead to lose. Uh, if, I mean, it feels like about three weeks ago, that game. But, you know, they are now the ones, and may- maybe previously it had been Coventry and Huddersfield, they're now the ones heading into the midweek fixtures um, with a serious amount of nerves. J- just on Huddersfield, their sets of fans, pretty understandably, were employing that classic tactic of I think we're going to go down because I can't see how we win a football match and and looking at their recent form you can kind of understand why yeah. they might feel like that even if it is ultimately you know a, a, a bit over the top a bit of a sentimental play how did they beat Forest on the weekend because again that that looked like to start with a really tight tense game and Huddersfield ended up winning 2-0 yeah, they did. Um, and thanks uh, to a very, very slack James Garner pass for the first goal. Um, and right. then a brilliant finish uh, from, from Bakuna for the second. Um, although I, Bryce Samba um, might not... Well, I think he'd like to have a, another go at saving it. Um, <laughs> but, but, it, I mean, but that kind of seems to Mulligan. be the way... Yeah, exactly. Uh, that kind of seems to be the way with Huddersfield at the moment under Corberan. Um, their victories don't necessarily come from impressive performances uh, it's just they have certain players who are able well first of all pouncing on a mistake and then second of all a player who, who does have that in his locker to produce something um, a moment out of nothing um, and uh, you know at this stage of the season given the amount of points they already had on the board from from earlier on in the campaign it's enough you know just getting these three points all they need is probably one more of these games and these results uh, and that should be enough I, again I, I don't think they were particularly impressive I don't think the the performance was one. Um, there, there were other teams in relegation battles this weekend who put in performances that I just couldn't really believe my eyes what I was seeing in League One and League Two. That wasn't the case uh, with Huddersfield, but it's mm. a massive, massive result and a massive three points. I'm really interested to know what they're going to do next season um, because, I, yeah, their, their, their trend, their performance trend has been on a downward curve. And when you appoint a, a manager who's never had this job before, that's 
is not what you're going to be hoping for. Mm. You'd be hoping that there'll be an improvement as time goes on. Um, I, I wonder if he'll... I mean, if he's still there next season and they don't improve the squad very much, I'd be really, really concerned. But, I, you know, but having said that, I don't want to... You know, if Huddersfield fans listening, you know, I don't want to make it a, a negative because they've gone and beaten a team in Forest who under Hewton have been very hard to beat mm. at, a, at a time where they really needed it and the players and Corbran himself have stepped up because a poor result here and they were going to be really, really staring down the barrel. Well, for the second time, Derby in midweek will play before the majority of the teams around them. They're playing Preston away on, on Tuesday night at uh, at 7 o'clock. And I think looking at the fixtures, only Sheffield Wednesday from that bottom chunk of sides are, are also playing on Tuesday night. So um, a lot of pressure, but also the opportunity to kind of uh, ease that with a good performance and maybe Preston a good side for Derby to be playing at the moment. You'd You'd think... Derby would have the extra motivation there, but that remains to be seen. Uh, and a well done to Blackburn for, for uh, overcoming that uh, deficit to beat Derby County. Much needed for Tony Mowbray, even if in terms of you know league position and significance as we reach the end of the season, uh, it doesn't make a huge difference. But just to, to get that win, uh, especially in the face of, of going behind where they've been questioned uh, so often in the last few months of not, not showing the right sort of um, spirit and the not... Well, I say spirit, almost not showing the right among, uh, amount of calmness to overcome deficits and to get back into games. So to, to come back, Gallagher scoring from a set piece and then Harvey Elliott with the winner. Um, impressive stuff. And QPR's win, George, again, one of those games that, that is, sadly, we, we don't dwell on at this stage of the season. But a, uh, a Steven Gerrard-esque goal from Rob Dickey, that's got to be... <laughs> and, and QPR moving above Borough, who they beat, and into the top 10 now. Uh, that's got to be worth a mention. Yeah, what a goal! And and it's not just a strike from Dicky, which I, I, I don't think I've ever even seen him try and do um, <laughs> in, in an Oxford shirt. But it's the it's the move before. It's so good, give and go, give and go back to goal. Then it comes to Dicky. He's like the third man in the move. Playing with so much confidence, aren't they? Absolutely wallops it top left and then doesn't really move. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're playing with 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 a lot of confidence, as you say. They seem to be a side who are just to use the forty second cliche in this podcast. Um, <laughs> who seem to be enjoying their football and seem to be playing with a smile on their face. And, nice. um, you know, there are young sides who have at times this season, you know, flirted with, with the, uh, the relegation zone. Um, but they seem to be a side who, you know, I, I mentioned Huddersfield trending the wrong way. They, they are on an, an upward charge. And if you're a, I think if you're a young um, player looking for a, for a championship move this summer, like, like Rob Dickey was last summer, um, I think you'd look at what's happened at, at Loftus Road over the last couple of months and you'd see it as a pretty attractive place to go and play football mm. because they put a lot of trust in, in in their young players. You know, you look at Seni Dieng who was who was sent off um, for for taking out Duncan Watmore. Um, but you look at his what happened to him this season. He hadn't played a, a first-team game for, for QPR until about October, given the gloves, given the, the, the number one shirt. And he's been ever-present basically since and been their player of the season. You look at Rob Dickey, somebody who hadn't played championship football before this season, ever-present at centre-back. You know, it's uh, Mark Warburton is, is turning QPR into a side where young players are entrusted with a, lo- a lot of responsibility, and and generally they're the players they're promoting have done really well. Mm. So um, a positive time for them for for Borough. The season just feels like it's fizzling. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the season how whether or not Neil Warnock would would really fancy having a season where nothing much is going on, and it <laughs> kind of feels like the whole club is now just waiting for the season to end. Well, he's gone from basically treating his first eleven as if they were his his grandkids that he loves more than anything in the world to 
more or less appears from what I've seen to be calling for majority of a new squad for next season. I'm sure he'd love to keep Paddy and Dale though, his uh, his, his best boys. Um, we're going to move on to League One now, but not before I remind you that we're sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. It, it's a it's a free app where you can win some really good prizes. Um, and there's two ways of winning prizes. And midweek is a good place to, to start because we've got a full set of fixtures. So you can check into your team's games. Uh, that means you will then play the spinner for a chance to win signed shirts, match passes, football manager 2021, uh, replica match balls, things like that. But also if you predict the scores uh, for the division that your team plays in and you end up at the top of the leaderboard, you normally need around nine or 10 right out of 12, which uh, I can I can assure you is easier said than done. But if you do end up at the top of the leaderboard, well, there's five, there's a chance to win 500 pounds every week um, from now to the end of the season for uh, playing a free predictor game. So do get on that, uh, free to download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Get on it this week. Uh, top of League One, well, we thought it was three into two and increasingly, George, it looks like it might be two into two because uh, Posh won pretty comfortably on Friday night against Cobblers. Uh, Hull won on Saturday. I want to ask you about that because if their recent wins had been comfortable, that one did not look uh, in that. <laughs> it did not look like that. Um, but Sunderland have now lost three games in a row, which means there's an eight-point gap between themselves and Peterborough. What's the story uh, of the top three this weekend in League One? I suppose because Blackpool are involved, um, we're talking about four of the top five, really. Yeah, Peterborough, as you mentioned, was was pretty much as comfortable as you like. Uh, Sammy Smodics getting the first two goals and then for the second time in, in, in as many weeks, Johnson Clark-Harris taking the penalty when one of his teammates <laughs> is on a hat-trick. This time he tucked it away. Um, you know, Dean Ashton, when we spoke about it or, uh, in the in the, um, in the office on Saturday, was like, yeah, that's a, that's a goal bonus for you, uh, which I quite <laughs> liked. <laughs> um, and uh, for Hull, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't comfortable. I mean, Fleetwood under Simon Grayson have been very, very, very solid over the last few weeks and they were good value for their lead when, when they went 1-0 up um, but Hull just have a way that you know they seem to be that team who just find a way to win games and again George Honeyman was out here so it was turn for, for Doherty who I mentioned last week to get an assist and then Dan Crowley who we hadn't seen too much of putting in a ball for one of the weirdest goals you're ever going to see Like, so it, it is definitely Lewis Potter's goal live it looks like Malik Wilkes' goal and in the, basically the freeze frame is Lewis Potter scoring an amazing diving header Wilkes obviously didn't know he was there so tries to volley it and they are suspended in midair with Lewis Potter heading the ball and Wilkes basically sitting on his back uh, whilst he's suspended in the air it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen live it was totally <laughs> in- insane and I couldn't really work out what had happened um, but another great great goal and another headed goal from Lewis Potter who just seems to be able to score whatever kind of goal he wants and Hull you know the pressure was on Hull here and, and I like this in League One because I feel like not often in recent times um, have we had a just a proper top two shootout now where those two teams can just say right we're up um, it's time for us to, to have a proper go at who's going to win mm-hmm. the title and you know Peter Bradrew alongside Hull uh, with, the, with the win on Friday night Hull then were 1-0 down and managed to get it back to 2-1 I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to play out and for the Sunderland Blackpool game, um, it was, yeah, it was it was a very low margin game. I mean, I, I was. I, I have I was to quite... flag up something here, having not watched this game as closely as you will, but I I can't 
ask you about this game without noting that our friend at xg underscore data uh, on twitter i do like to check the the timelines to to get a feel for for how games played out in terms of chances and blackpool 0.34 expected goals sunderland 1.48 the majority of those i should say coming after blackpool scored but that doesn't tally with the with the responses that i've seen understandably disappointing after three defeats in a row uh, about sunderland's performance yeah, and I got a message from a Blackpool fan after saying that on 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 another day Sunderland could have won this by being like, "Did you even watch the game?" Like, except for those two chances, didn't have any chances. And I was like, "What?" Except for when they hit the post and Ballard made a clearance off the line. I mean, that's <laughs> quite significant in itself, you'd think. Um, and I also said on Quest how Blackpool were the best team in the league since October. So it's amazing how you can still be accused of being wrong, wrong. even when you're yeah right. Um, but. I mean, yeah, for Sunderland, this was just, they, they they were tossing a coin for a few weeks and it kept coming up heads and it's come up tails a couple of times. That's basically all this is. The, the performances haven't really changed. Um, Ed McGeady hit the post one minute before uh, before Blackpool went the other end and scored. Mm. Lee Burge made an absolute clangor for his, um, he made a hash of the save. It was a, a daisy cutter from Garbutt that he, I don't know how he managed to, to kind of throw it over the line, but he did. Uh, and then, as I say, Ballard made a clearance off the line that probably nine times out of ten he wouldn't have been able to pull off. Um, there's no need... I mean, the, the only need to panic from Sunderland fans is that they aren't going to get promoted automatically. But in terms of just performance levels, it, it hasn't really changed. You know, they were they were winning games where it was very, very close um, previously, and now they've lost three in a row where it's been very, very close. Um it's it's as as I said to Michelle on the show, this streaky Lee thing could be quite dangerous now for Sunderland because if that seeps into the mentality of the players and Johnson himself, and they almost think to themselves, right, how the hell are we going to stop this this run of L's coming on? Then things could get nasty. Whereas actually, if they maintain their current performance levels, they'll be completely fine. You know, it can mm. become almost a self fulfilling prophecy if they were to buy into it. I'm sure they won't. I'm sure Lee Johnson will be so desperate to quash any of that chat. I almost felt quite guilty talking about it if he was watching on on Tuesday night because I was basically talking about it purely to say that it was this isn't yet that you know this is three defeats in a row and this third defeat against the side who've picked up more points per game than any other team since the end of October was just one of those where it could have gone either way and it's gone against them mm. because of their own goal, goalkeeper's fault and because of some good defending, and because of some bad luck. That's it. Um, so they need to turn it around um, pretty quickly. I mean, at the moment, if, if the season was to finish now, although not on points per game, but literally if the, if the league table was to finish as it is now, it would be a Sunderland-Oxford playoff over two legs. And given what oh. happened a couple of weeks ago at the Stadium of Light, that would be quite tasty, because uh, <laughs> whilst charges may not have been pressed in the end by Jack Stevens, the Oxford goalkeeper, I'm pretty sure there will be um, some rivalries renewed if that were to be the case, and I would be very much here for it. A couple more things to tidy up uh, towards the top of League One. Uh, Lincoln, um, you know, they're, they're back in business to an extent. Uh, they beat Bristol Rovers 1-0 on the weekend. Scully with an early goal, assisted by Brennan Johnson. Um, both of those been in fine form in the last few weeks. Now, uh, this looks like quite an exciting game, George, in that well, we talk about uh, clubs being in the image of their manager. Uh, and I note that 36th minute straight red for Ed Upson. Then 
and then Lincoln with two players booked a minute later, so maybe some sort of fracas. And then in the second half, yellows for the goalkeeper, Yakala, 51, Leahy, 52, Baldwin, 98, and McCormick, 99. Um, was, you know, what happened here? It was lively. Um, the, 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 the foolish thing about this for Bristol Rovers and for Upson was that they were basically on top when, when the red card happened. Um you know, Lincoln had scored with their first and only shot of the game. Um, by the time the you know the the incident occurred, Bristol Rovers had had their fair share of chances. It looked like they were getting back in the game. Um, that hit the woodwork, and I mean the the red card itself. Ah, it's so, such a weird one. Well, I mean I've watched it so many times, and kind of Upson and Brennan Johnson fall over together, and whether I mean Upson must feel like. Johnson has tried to kind of stop him from getting up and running off because then Upson just proceeds to kind of lie on Johnson with his arm outstretched. So kind of like almost on Johnson's neck and kind of lies there and they grapple for about five seconds before all the other players come and kind of rip rip, rip Upson off him. And then Johnson mm. kind of rolls around on the floor holding his face. Now, in, in all of the coverage that I saw of the, the um, you know, the, the whatever went on afterwards because there was a bit of pushing and shoving. Johnson's lying on the floor holding his face. So I'd love to know how he ended up getting a booking because mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine you're booking him for simulation whilst also sending off the guy who's who supposedly, um, you know, committed the violent conduct against him. So I don't know what happened there. Is it a red card? It's, it's just incredibly stupid from a senior player to give the referee that decision to make. Um, and, you know, maybe there was too much energy from the earth's core coursing through his body. <laughs> Uh, after after Joey Barton's tactics there, but I do agree. I mean, I, I think it can work both ways. You know, I, I think sometimes having a manager who's so incredibly passionate and who hates losing so much and who sends his team out to be very, um, you know, to be very pumped uh, can and probably has. You know, they picked up four points from their last two games before this can have a massive positive effect. Here, did, did you hear over. what? Did did you hear what Joe Barton said to Ed Upson after the game? No. He said, head up, son. Well, there you go. Good, good, good management. Great, great management. Um, but then also, you know, Bristol Rovers had a lot of chances when the game was, was 10 against 11 and, and Palmer was, was was there to make the saves needed. Um, you know, it wasn't like it was a, a, a comfy 1-0 win for Lincoln after after they, they went down to 10 men. Um, so... I mean, when you're looking at the league table now, it's it's pretty hard to make a case for for Bristol Rovers to get out of it. But I still think, in terms of of, of their performance levels, um, they are a side who, you know, they're six points back at the moment with four games to play. So they're probably going to need what at least nine, probably yeah. more. Um, unlike Swindon, who I just don't think that is basically an impossibility. I do think Bristol Rovers have the players and maybe the manager to be able to do that. But it's getting pretty unlikely now, given the teams around them and the way they're picking up points. Yes, on to that in just a second. But tell me, I've got two questions for you. What's happened to Portsmouth? They've lost three games in a row to drop out of the playoff places. And then we'll get on to the team that's replaced them in the playoff places. Sorry, yeah. I've just realised Pompey haven't lost three games in a row. They've lost one, then drew nil nil with Crew, yeah. and then lost again on the weekend. Yeah, it's it's kind of a similar thing to, my, to what I was saying about Sunderland, I think, where... You know, if you if you break up the the results in a different way, you know, the, with the Cowleys coming in, winning their first three games, and then this winless run of three, um, the performance 
performances recently haven't been great. Um, I think Danny Cowley himself said that the final win they got, the performance also wasn't great. Uh, there are issues, I think, in terms of, of consistency with Pompey that have been the case long before the Cowleys arrived. Um, and I think in a way those those early wins maybe elevated expectations way too high, mm. you know. And there's been t- been talk in the press this week about um, the Cowleys being involved in, in player identification for next season. Uh, I think maybe everybody's just got a little bit ahead of themselves. And mm. you know, I, I definitely definitely think that the Cowleys would be the best people to take charge of Pompey next season in League One. Um, but maybe Portsmouth fans were were anticipating that. You know, get rid of jacket, bringing Cowley, and, and everything solved, and that isn't the case. They came up against an MK Don side who who were really, really good. Um, having you know been trounced by Lincoln the week before, this reaction was incredibly impressive. Um, interesting to note that Cowley also said um, in his local press, he said, you know, that the best, the biggest testament. This was after the Crew game. He said the biggest testament that that we can. Um, you know, we can point to in terms of, of what we're doing is that now because of the high pressing nature of our game, because we're trying to keep the football, uh, teams we're playing playing against are changing the way they play in order mm-hmm. to to um, to counter that. Now, I would argue that maybe David Artel's decision to sit off Portsmouth was maybe more to do with the fact they got shellacked six nil um, the in the game before. But you know, if if Danny Cowley was was hoping that MK Dons were going to change their style of football, that was not the case because. You know when 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 they got the penalty and went went one nil up, MK Dons had about sixty eight percent possession. So Cowley was unable to um, to control the game in the way that he'd have wanted to. Uh, but they did come into it a little bit in the se- in the second half. They had a couple of chances. Andy Fisher made a couple of big saves. Um, but it's just the the red card for Watmore is the was Watmore was it Taylor was was the big the big issue because mm. that is incredibly foolish. It was such a stupid two footed lunge again going into such an important part of the season where they've now dropped out of the playoff places but would still are still in it on points per game yeah it was what more um, an unbelievably stupid thing to do uh, for them especially with, with what more and Raggett when Pompey have been good this season have been such an important defensive duo for them um, being without him for three games now is probably more damaging than this than this um, than this loss potentially and it's another game where, where um, John Marquist just didn't really look like scoring. So, again, I think it's important not to overreact. Pompey still have their, their fate in their own hands in terms of finishing in the top six. Yeah. But maybe everyone just got a little bit, me included, maybe you included too, got a little bit carried away with, with what happened as soon as, as Danny and Nicky came in. Well, how carried away are you getting about Oxford United? Because not too long after saying it, it was it was time to plan for next season. They've rattled off three straight wins in some fashion as well. Uh, and, and the weekend, I mean, I can't imagine your reaction to coming back from two goals behind against Lincoln, your homegrown, not very attacking right-backs <laughs> scoring two. Excuse me, not very Scor- attacking. Well, what have you uh, been watching? Have you, have you only seen Sam Long in 2018? Well, exactly. That the, was- bloke's, the bloke's Cafu. He was he was miss pigeonholed. He was miss pigeonholed. That's what I mean. He was always he's constantly been the one that you and others and me have gone. Maybe Oxford needs someone who can deliver a little more in the final third. Until this season. Until this season. Um, yeah. Talk yeah. talk me through the 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 Jills game and and Oxford being in that last playoff spot now. Yeah, Gillingham were um, the better side comfortably for seventy two minutes. They well, Oxford didn't create a great deal. They were pretty physical. They were, um, you know, there was a bit of argy-bargy going on with with Oxford pushing the um, 
the advertising hoardings up close to the pitch and the, the Gillingham players pushing them back in order to take their long throws. Both Carl Robinson and Steve Evans were, were getting pretty irate on the sideline. And you know, I, I personally think that Robbie Cundy's goal to make it 2-0 to Gillingham was, was the worst thing that could have happened um, for Gills because they immediately dropped off. You know, they've been so aggressive in their game plan for the whole 90 minutes. Well, sorry, for the whole 72 minutes. And then as soon as Cundy put them, put them 2-0 up, you know, you look at the Sam Winnell goal that came, that came a couple of minutes later and you've got about seven players back in the Gillingham box from open play. Um, and and uh, Winner was able to, to thread it through into the, into the far corner. Um, and then suddenly the game is 2-1. You're exactly where you were four minutes before mm. in terms of the deficit, but Gillingham were employing a totally, totally different game plan to try and hang on to their lead. And Oxford were able to to, to somehow get through. I mean, it's I, I adore Sam Long, and I never would have thought I would say that a couple of years ago because, as you mentioned, he was somebody who looked like a weak link. And I'd now say that he has to be one of the best right-backs in League One, certainly mm. one of the first names on the team sheet for Oxford, both as a one-on-one defender and as an attacking force as well. It seems amazing to think that last June I was recording a podcast with you about the playoff semis, and I was just saying, Ronan Curtis, the best left-winger in League One, Sam Long, the worst right-back in League One. <laughs> Not anymore, none mm. of it. Um, and he... You know, the, the first ball in from Ruffles, another player who's come in for a fair bit of criticism in the past. Uh, how it lands on, on Long's head. And then also the second, how he gets there first from another ball, just a hopeful ball from deep from Brannigan. Um, it's incredibly poor box defending from, from Jills in order to let him get there. But it has to be said, the, the finish for Long's third goal, for, for the third goal, Long's second goal, Great is unbelievable. Like, out, like a, 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 a ball kind of dipping in from the sky outside of his right boot, just steering it into the into the near into the near corner. Um, yeah, we at, at Stockley Park IMG, where we do quests. Obviously, the VAR rooms are just next door. So I was, you know, and this was going on during an FA Cup semi final. Hmm. So I, I had to run around to the uh, the floor in silence, kind of with my arms aloft, and had a couple of people being like, huh. <laughs> You're an Oxford fan then? I was like, yeah, yes, I am. Because it was uh, very unexpected. And it means that you know, looking at Oxford's um, fixture list compared to Pompey, I still think Portsmouth and, and possibly Charlton too are, are, are more likely to get into that top six. But um, Oxford have given themselves a, a massive chance. Um, but the only thing nagging me in the back of my mind is that even though they won 3-2, it wasn't a good performance. Right, okay. Well, we're going to turn our attentions to the bottom now because, well, we've got two teams in what we thought was a kind of bottom six trying to find two survival places. And we've got two teams in Wimbledon and Wigan who have now won three consecutive games uh, and Rochdale who have won back-to-back games. Those were the three teams that won uh, this weekend down at the bottom. Uh, Wimbledon smashing Swindon first and foremost, George, in the late game. You would have had a close eye on this one. Uh, what was what was the story of that game? Uh, and then tell me about Wigan and Rochdale as well. Wimbledon were unbelievable, like totally incredible. I mean, you, you have to put part of this down to Swindon being being pretty bad at football, um, and Swindon mm. did hit the bar within a couple of minutes. But you know, it's one of your pet hates, Ali. But if it had been seven nil after an hour to Wimbledon, <laughs> it would have been no eyebrows raised at all. You know, they were hitting woodwork left, right, and centre. It was just a complete and total utter onslaught you know they played an attacking team with uh Piggott and Palmer and Asal all starting uh, Asal looks to be a serious serious prospect how mm. that guy hasn't played any first team football for um for Wimbledon until March I don't know 
um, as I said, a friend of a friend of mine who um, is a Wimbledon fan is now calling Mark Robinson the Merton Mourinho. Um, I think that probably does Mark <laughs> Robinson a bit of a disservice with Jose Mourinho just getting the sack from Spurs this morning after about four failed jobs in a row. I like somebody on Twitter saying, Merton Mourinho? Nah, that was the Wimbledon Wenger. Um, <laughs> do, we, do we have to call him Wimbledon now? The Wimbledon Wenger. The Wimbledon Wenger. Um, they were just... I, yeah, I what I was saying a second ago about Oxford's Oxford's run in being difficult. That's basically because I think we, I think we lose to to Wimbledon tomorrow night. I just can't. If Wimbledon turn up and play like that, they're they're just the better side. They were absolutely electric. I mean, it's unbelievable to see. I don't know how long they can maintain it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, not in terms of of the style because it was more attractive, but it reminded me of Curls Northampton last season in the playoffs. We were just watching this team being like, you know, you're. I'd love to know their their kind of um, their final third entries per per minute or whatever mm. metric you want to use like they were just totally and utterly relentless in terms of their attacking play getting into dangerous areas at will um, um, totally at will you, so they, you were, know they were great and then I want yeah. to go got to go big on Rochdale and Wigan as well because both of them put in great space Wigan's maybe not quite so so relentless but Rochdale were just like that first goal mm. is from from Kierhane is a thing of absolute beauty like yeah. a bit like the Dickey goal because the finish is great on its own but when you when you see the, the passing and the movement from from before and then the backfield assist I, I mean I, and they're doing it without you know Humphreys is is still out injured um Lund is coming off the bench you've got Barr an unused substitute Bazunu an unused substitute as well you know these are the the, the key players that we were talking about earlier in the season who are going to be so important for Rochdale's survival bid not even getting a look in um you know Morley still doing great things in the middle of the park I just think they are finally it's taken until April and it might be too late but but Brian Barry Murphy's managed to get the you know the good attacking Rochdale and the um, and the dour defensive Rochdale on the pitch at the same time. Well, that's very exciting for them, but potentially too little, too late, unless Wimbledon uh, and or Wigan have a little stumble. But their form so impressive. And before we move on to League Two, I know you were you were very enamoured with the weekend that Andy Butler, uh, Doncaster caretaker manager and centre back had. Yeah, um, I think this is a great story because, and it's not one of those where you're kind of making it up. He was brilliant. You know, he was he 37 years old, hadn't played himself since getting this caretaker job, on the back of a really bad run of form. Recalls himself into the team, having not played. You know, 37, not played for two months, plays 90 minutes, dominant in the air, um, completely. You know, in their first clean sheet for a while. Um, you know, Shrews had their chances. This wasn't like it was a vintage Doncaster display by any stretch. Um, Okunabire and Richards kind of pouncing on errors for the goals. Um, but it, and it gives them, you know, it's it's very, very unlikely given how poor they've been recently. But it's it's a classic case of Doncaster can only do what they can do. And if Oxford, Pompey and Charlton all limp to the finish line, they don't need that many points in order to force their way into the, into the reckoning. Um, as I say, I don't think it's going to happen, but they've at least given themselves something to play for. I like how when you have a day in at Quest and you enjoy watching, what, uh, about 30 matches of football all at one time, or, or staggered as it was the case over the weekend, you, like me, often get very enamoured with teams' performances and then you go big about it on the pod. And I love that. And you've done that for Wimbledon and for Rochdale and for a few others. But having WhatsApped you a fair bit over the weekend, I actually think Grimsby might be the one. I think that might be the one. So we'll start League Two at the bottom, the very bottom, where Grimsby Town um, beat Bolton Wanderers. And how? Yeah, and how? They were (laughs) 
unbelievable from 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 one to eleven. You know, if you to put this in context, you know, last time we saw Grimsby, they had two of their players, two of their senior players sent off. Well, one sent off, and and both and the other one hooked in um, Stephen Payne and Junior Morace. Uh, and Paul Hurst came out afterwards saying neither neither will play for the club again this season after after Payne headbutted Maurice. Mm. You know they're they're coming into this with having been written off as as relegation fodder, um, and they put in this performance and it has kind of been coming. You know as I've I've said a lot on the pod recently they have their performance levels over the last few weeks has been so much better than than what we what we've become used to. And Ali, you'll know. I mean when when you go into when you go into into quest, you you choose to have um, normally it's kind of eight or ten league one, league two games that you can kind of consume whilst keeping on top of all the other ones. And then you have the time after the game to to catch up on what what's gone on elsewhere. And I had this game as one of the, one of my games. And I, I basically couldn't take my eyes off it. It was just every you know Grims- Grimsby go one up within a minute um, through Matete and and a, a lovely finish at that as well. And this is a Bolton side who looking to, to capitalise on the fact that they know Cheltenham have dropped points have lost the game the night before who have one of you know one of the longest um, good runs of form in the EFL as it stands under Ian Evett who have automatic promotion um, on their on in their sites you would expect the relegation fodder to just think right we're one nil up let's try and sit on this especially given that Paul Hurst doesn't necessarily have a reputation. I mean, this is kind of back to the Shrewsbury days, what we saw. I mean, his reputation recently hasn't been for the most expansive um, and positive style of football. But Grimsby just battered them. And it wasn't a battering where, you know, Bolton obviously had their chances, as you'd expect them to have, because Grimsby were committing so many men forward at times. And that's what I loved about this too, is that even though Grimsby had the better of the chances and were massively good value for their win, you still had James McKeown in goal making three or four crucial saves at 1-0 to keep them in it. Um, but Grimsby should have been clear um, by half-time. I mean, James Hansen missed one kind of open goal uh, where he hit it against the bar from about seven yards out that I thought when that happened, I was like, nah, this is going to be, this is going to come back and hurt them. But at some stage, surely Bolton are going to come into this. And luckily for, for Grimsby, by the time Bolton did did get their goal, um, they'd gone 2-0 up through Ira Jackson Jr. Um, they were just magnificent. And as I said on, on Quest, you know, even though they are... If you look at the table, you'd give them no chance of getting out of this. But they've got five games left, and you know they've they've gone and racked up an XG of three point five or whatever against a Bolton side who have been so good defensively. I honestly think if they play like that first five games of the season, they could easily get the ten or twelve points needed, easily, easily. Because I don't see how people, how teams will be able to live with them. So it's whether or not they can they can repeat that performance. Um, the chances are they probably won't be able to, but. It's probably the story of the mm. EFL that I'm going to be watching the closest because I feel like I'm the only person watching. <laughs> and the good vibes, sadly, would have been tempered somewhat by Cole Yu, who went and won uh, in the late game. They'd won one game in 25 before beating Walsall. Um, and that, well, A, that makes Grimsby's job harder, but it also makes Tuesday night's Essex derby between Southend and Cole Yu, which previously looked incredibly spicy, uh, slightly less so, mild, I would say, six points <laughs> between... Uh, the two teams. Having said that, if Southend can get a win there and if Grimsby can back up that performance, then we might have a different outlook this time on Monday. But I think you have to give some credit to, to Colchester for doing what they have not done very often for the last, what, like four or five months? Um, uh, albeit against the Walsall side who have been fairly desperate, haven't they, in the last few weeks. Um, at, at the top of the table, well, only three of the top seven won. In fact, only four of the top half uh, at the start of the weekend Cheltenham k- 
kicked off on Friday night by losing to Yemsy's Crawley. Uh, John Yem's interview, as good as you'd expect afterwards, where he obviously wasn't happy because he's never happy. And he, he basically spent most of it like chipping away at anyone who had sent like negative tweets over the over the poor run of form that they'd have previously. You know, so it was all like the 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 lovely earnest young media assistant asking him like, John, you know, we've come up against a really good side today, very physical side, but we've matched them, have won the game as well. And he just goes like, Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because I thought we we're the worst team in the world. I thought I was the worst manager in the world and I thought all of our players were the worst players in the world. But as it turns out, we're not. Um, so that was that was pretty perfect. Uh, vintage Yems and and Crawley now still the most confusing team in League Two sit uh, right in the middle of it, which I think kind of sums it up. Having won just one game more than they've lost uh, and scored one goal fewer than they've conceded, uh, a very the, the, well. I was going to say the league's entertainers, but I think Oldham probably have a shout for that. Um, but uh, where else should we go here? Because Cambridge losing meant sorry, Cheltenham losing meant that Cambridge had a chance to. Um, to take back top spot. It kind of feels like they're juggling it between them at the moment. Uh, and they did so against Newport on the weekend. That that sort of, that fix just stood out, George. 1-0 Cambridge United. What was the story of that one? Yeah, it was it was classic Cambridge. It was a shame we kind of ran out of time to cover this um, on Saturday because it was a, a huge win in terms of the, the League 2 promotion race. Um, again, an, another occasion where Cambridge came into this knowing that they had... An opportunity because of the Cheltenham result that you mentioned um, and they were going up against the Newport side with a hell of a lot to play for and trying to lock down that last playoff place and this wasn't as, as is so often the case with, with Cambridge this season um, and this isn't you know a dig it was a game that they've managed to come out on top of which could have really gone either way um, you know Paul Mullen missed the chance of the game probably one of the worst misses although it does come to him very sharply but um, you know the ball came to him at the back post from about two yards out and he basically just smashes it into the post and it rebounds and then hits him again in the chest and could go anywhere and goes behind for a goal kick. Um, and that kind of looked like it would probably be the their best chance to to win it. But um, but Drysdale getting his first senior goal, uh, what a time to do it, you have to say. Like a, a massive, massive, um, ten, you know, 10, 10 minutes to go to get on the end of that, the, uh, the corner and nodded in um, to put Cambridge top of the league. It's... Yeah, a significant win and a significant performance rather than anything that was great. And for, you know, for those of us who are still kind of scratching our heads a little bit as to how Cambridge are on top, it didn't do much to um, didn't do much to to kind of explain it. To be honest, except that they got another three points and they and they are there at the moment. And and Mark Bonner continues to not. I mean, saying to defy logic would be would be harsh, but they have an amazing amazing knack of of coming out with three points from games that, that look very, very tight. Mm. Well, three points to Morecambe, three points to Forest Green as well uh, this weekend, but both of their routes to three points uh, were, were fairly lively. Uh, a 4-3 against Oldham for Morecambe. Can I just say that Oldham have played 42 games this season. They've scored 67 goals and they've conceded uh, 72 goals, which means... In total, their games have enjoyed a cool 3.3 goals per game. Uh, we, we love that. We absolutely love that. If you're going to be a team in that sort of uh, grey area between mid-table and the relegation zone, you might as well um, have some good vibes along the way. Uh, Morecambe 4, Oldham 3, Forest Green 3, Scunthorpe 2. George, the, the entertaining games in League 2 this weekend. Yeah, Forest Green was, was huge. 
um, because this was a very, very different Forest Green side to the one that we've seen recently. They were really good. You know, I know they were 2-1 down still with 20 minutes to go. Jimmy Ball rewarded for his faith, didn't make a substitution until injury time. Um, but any Forest Green fans who, who watched the game just said that the, the difference in terms of the the intensity and the intent itself um, from Forest Green was was, was completely different mm. to what they've seen under Cooper recently. You know, unshackled was was the word that was being thrown around. You know, this was a team who were encouraged to attack and encouraged to to play. And maybe no surprise then that Ebu Adams probably one of the biggest disappointments in League Two this season. Um, a player who I think you and I didn't think would be playing in League Two mm. given his his exploits last campaign. He hasn't really done it um, this season but a, a brilliant assist with a great ball in and then like a really brave header um, for you know meant that he was kind of the talisman here and, and with Jamil Matt out for the season they've needed somebody to step up and, and do that role and be the guy who they can kind of lean on for that bit of extra quality so it feels like a significant result because not only were they 2-1 down late and therefore looking like they were going to fall out of the playoff places but um in terms of, of driving them towards basically just forgetting about what's happened over the last two months it feels like that result can just start a clean slate with a new manager with a new style of play uh, and can kind of build them towards the playoffs and it kind of shows I think the Matt issue as well I think maybe there was some just some doubt within the team whether they were good enough without him to be honest mm. um, and that has been been put aside what was the other one you said what was the other Morecambe. big game? Carl, I mean, was yeah, it, that was was class. it Diego Raga's dancing feet and Carlos Mendes Gomez just continuing to thrive, right? Pretty much, yeah. They were they were great. You know, it was four three at the end, um, but they were four one up and coasting before that. And yeah, Do you reckon just, Oldham might be the best team in the league at two 0 down. I reckon <laughs> Oldham might. I think Oldham are just the funnest team in the league at the moment. Just watch <laughs> Oldham for, for drama. Um, they're kind of Conor McAlaney in a nutshell at the moment. Just shoot whenever you get it and don't really worry about anything else. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Morecambe, this is a big result for Morecambe, given what happened to both Cheltenham and Bolton. You know, it looked like Morecambe were just going to kind of fall fall short of their automatic promotion aims, and probably they wouldn't be the, the side that you'd necessarily um, fancy in the playoffs, given, I always think, when teams like this, when they've come so far, you know, it reminds me of Accrington all those years ago, um, where they they just didn't quite get into the automatics on, on, the, on the final day with Bristol Rovers getting in and they had a bit of a damp squib of a playoff campaign. You could kind of see that being the case with Morecambe here where they're, they're so close to what we thought was unachievable. If they don't quite get there, it might be difficult for them to, to rally in the playoffs. But, you know, the, the dream is back on now uh, after the weekend. Mm. Um, and after putting, you know, after scoring four goals, ignore the three because, they, as I said, they were 4-1 up. Uh, and, and also, you know, credit to them for holding on to that lead, um, to that 4-3 in the last five, five or so minutes. Um yeah, they're right back in with a chance of uh, of getting in that top three. The way that Mendes Gomez is, has kicked on another level this season, just in terms of like always having the technical skill, um, that's been apparent for the last year or two. But actually, to develop into like a a, a cold-hearted goal scorer, mm. like like his movement to to create separation from defenders and to finish with both feet has been really noticeable over the last few weeks. And yes, Diagaraga's assist was probably my favourite. Um, my favourite play to use an American expression in League Two this this weekend. Um, you know, Mendes Gomez's movement and finish was just electric and so so exciting. You have to say they're only one point off Bolton now, Morecambe. So absolutely, still with a chance of, of automatic promotion. A couple of other winners in the I middle. Just, I was just going to say on that, the thing to look out for is, I mean, it's it's a massive week this week for for that Morecambe Bolton kind of developing storyline, and of, of course, Cheltenham and Cambridge are involved as well. But they've got. 
they play each other on Saturday um, at Morecambe and then both you know both in action on Tuesday Grimsby play against Morecambe so one of those team two teams mm-hmm. the fairy tale is going to continue and for one of them it's going to be um, disappointment or for both I guess if it's a draw and Bolton host Carlisle so I think um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see where those two teams stand on Saturday because that unless one of them wins you know unless Bolton win and Morecambe lose maybe and then there'll be a four point gap it feels like that is basically going to be a, a promotion six pointer mm-hmm. um, coming up on Saturday. Yeah, exciting. Uh, Mansfield and Harrogate both picked up uh, narrow wins. Uh, Mansfield's goal, courtesy of Sweeney, giving them a one 0 win at Stevenage, which you know, might not leap out on paper, but Stevenage is so difficult to beat over the last few months. And Harrogate secured their second season uh, of EFL football with a two one win against Bradford. Josh McPake. Uh, is, is kind of the one to watch, I think. He's on loan from Rangers. Uh, it was an interesting loan signing when it happened because it was one of those where it, 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 it was, you know, Harrogate must have gone to Rangers, you'd have thought, with a proper pitch that this was the man they wanted. And and that's kind of impressive. He's a 19-year-old, you know, talented kid in the, in the Rangers setup. But for Harrogate to have such a, well, maybe I'm guessing, giving them too much credit, but this wasn't like a deadline day loan signing out of nowhere. This was, um, you know, it was clearly a targeted approach. And I quite like that from Harrogate, whoever's pulling the strings there, um, because it's worked out really well. He's played, what, 22 games, scored four goals and, and looked like a quality player. So good piece of recruitment. Uh, and Harrogate can build uh, looking forward to seeing them next season, hopefully get up to a game as well, because um, we are going to want to do a lot of travelling when we can. I think it's fair to say. But the, the last sort of point of business, George, that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, the, the race for the playoffs because Newport's defeat means they are, albeit still in the playoffs on 62, uh, they've got Exeter on 61 who drew this weekend, Orient on 61 who picked up a 2-0 win this weekend, then Carlisle 60, Salford 59, Crawley 59. So there's five points within, sorry, five teams within three points of that last playoff spot. That's one, you know, that's another pretty compelling aspect of of this League Two season's end. Um, do any of them fancy it? There's a part of me that thinks, you know, Exeter, Carlisle, well, Salford, Orient, Orient. Yeah, yeah. I was getting to them. Let me finish. <laughs> Exeter, Carlisle, Salford, Orient. There's a spot for you, I think. But who wants it? Well, and if you're going to say Salford, I mean, you got you got to say Crawley as well. Surely, mm. I mean, Johnny M's certainly was suggesting after the game that he hasn't given up hope of of muscling into the, the playoff picture. Um, I mean, Orient seems to be the ones who are who are kind of trending in the right direction. Three wins from their last six. Uh, a 2-0 win against Barrow. Um, it wasn't by any stretch like a, a vintage performance. They, they did what they needed to do. Um, and, you know, Joby McEnough, I still think, speaks so well in the press where he just talks about how this is a stage of the season where you just got to win games and that's what they're doing and, you know, worry about the rest of it later on. Um, but as you mentioned, there are definitely... You know, probably, well, possibly two spots up um, for grabs. I think the Forest Green turnaround is, was a bit of a, a bit of a hammer blow for those teams chasing. Um, but you wouldn't say that they're, you know, that they're that they're there that they are there yet. Um, but a massive opportunity wasted for Exeter to be playing Southend at home. A win there would have put them back in the playoffs. You know, the team who've scored more goals than anybody else in um, in League Two to draw a blank. Although actually, Oldham have now Oldham have overtaken them. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> But they, you know, to draw a blank there against a South End side like that, I mean, that's that's poor. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if I was to choose who I reckon will get there now, I think I would still probably say Exeter. Helps having that handy not plus nineteen goal mm. difference. It's basically another point. 
I feel like they just burn me every time I you know we actually I think it was this time last week we laid down the gauntlet to Exeter after they thrashed Cambridge and we said do that again lads and they have absolutely not done it again um, yeah. and that's what's kind of frustrating but uh, there you go that's the end of this week's pod thank you so much for bearing with us guys thank you George for uh, carrying the burden uh, as I enjoy a few more days off uh, here in Sandwich in Kent um, what are you going to for lunch? I don't know I really don't know I haven't sandwich, got that sandwich I hope so. oh right yes a ham sandwich uh, here in Sandwich <laughs> And there's a place called Ham not far away as well. So that's a nice touch. Um, But thank you guys. And uh, as ever for your support for listening right to the end, um, please do share this pod uh, if you've enjoyed it. We've got a huge week, don't we? A huge midweek of Mm. EFL football. So the Totally Football League show extra time episode on Thursday will certainly be um, a good place to catch up with with everything that happens in midweek. And lastly, I know you wouldn't forget anyway, but full slate of fixtures in midweek in the EFL. Good time to check into your team's games on the Skybet EFL Rewards app where you can then play the spinner to win juicy prizes and play the predictor for a chance to win £500 each game week from now until the end of the season. That's the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Download it and use it for free today.